This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. central dilemma for spiritual seekers, and perhaps for all human beings, is learning how to live with one part of our awareness rested into the profound stillness of the unconditioned mind, while simultaneously being fully engaged in the unique context of our lives. This is an art that requires years of practice. To accomplish this balance of stillness and movement, we must be deeply rooted in the paradoxes of human existence. We must recognize ourselves as both form and formless, as a unique event in time and space, and also a timeless essence that transcends physical, psychological, and cultural conditions. We must understand ourselves as beings with biological, physiological, and cultural conditioning, and also as timeless wells of emptiness from which creation has mysteriously sprung. The practitioners that I have known that have embodied this moment of creation, when emptiness flows into form and form into emptiness, have a particular kind of energy about them. They transmit a timeless presence and transcendent quality of being, while simultaneously being fully focused, clear, and deeply available in every moment. They are luminous, flowing, relaxed, fully present in the complexity of every context, and see the world with an admirable sense of objectivity. They are not stuck, writes Michael. Valeria Tellez interviews Michael Robbins. He is a psychotherapist, Taoist teacher, poet, and visual artist who works in Somerville, Massachusetts. Michael has studied and taught the Taoist practices of Tai Chi, Qigong, Gong, and Taoist meditation, for more than four decades and continues to study these arts with high-level masters whenever he has a chance. As a psychotherapist, he works with individuals, couples, families, and groups, leads retreats both in this country and in Europe, and supervises therapists in his unique integration of body-oriented, systems-informed, existential, psychoanalytic, and spiritually-based therapy, both virtually and in person. He has published two book chapters and many articles on a variety of topics, as well as two books of poetry, all of which are available on his website. As a visual artist, he has exhibited his work in a variety of venues. He is also a student of the Austrian mystic Thomas Hubel and a member of the Ridwan School founded by A.H. Almas. Meet Michael at michaelrobbinstherapy.com. Here's the interview with Michael Robbins.
Mural onwards. Who is Michael Robbins? Uh, so, uh, who am I? Well, I'm a, a psychotherapist. I'm also a Tai Chi teacher and, and Qigong teacher and Taoist meditation teacher. I'm also a, a poet. Uh, I've published two books of poetry and um, and an, a visual artist. I, I actually had a degree in art and then moved from being uh, at one point in my life thinking that I was going to go more into the into the and a career as an artist to then going into the healing arts and at that point i uh, studied body work and energy work studied with barbara brennan for a while who is an energy healer um and then moved more into mindfulness based based psychotherapies looking at systems looking at how all of our energy systems are embedded inside of the universal energy system, as well as inside of all of our relations, inside of our families, inside of our marriages, inside of the town that we lived in, live in. So I'm, I'm kind of an eclectic mix of many, many things. Um, and uh, so that that's a kind of brief overview of who I am. And what would you say is the purpose and the intention for doing what you do? That's a great question. Um, I think it, the foundation, foundational intention that I have is to help everyone, myself included, to be able to rest very deeply into stillness in the middle of life. So that we have, like if we imagine our energy system as having a center pole, that goes from the top of our heads all the way down to our perineum. And inside of that center pole is stillness, is emptiness. From that stillness, if we can then enter life, we enter life with freedom. We can enter life with, with joy. When our access to that central meridian, that central channel is obscured or um, when we're stuck in, a, in the reactivity of our minds or in some kind of emotional storm, our, our freedom is going to be limited. We're going to really see the world from inside of the storm or inside of the reactivity. So my goal with everyone and with myself, you know, because I consider myself the uh, primary my primary client, in a way, is myself, <laughs> um, is to help myself and others live in an alignment with that central meridian, that life force that is beyond subject and object, and then to move from there into the dance of life, into with freedom, with joy, with the natural curiosity and exploration that every child is born with. Uh, you know, if you if we look at a child that is uninjured, the child is just a bubbling spring of curiosity and joy. You know, and if we can unwind the impressions that may have blocked ourselves that, that you know, from our life experiences to get back there, then we have access to that again. When you talk about stillness, access in the center, that place, if there is a center, what comes to me is trust. To be able to be 
still and calm in the midst of the storm. It comes to me as trust, but then I I think, who am I trusting really? <laughs> who is that? <laughs> right. right? So right. talk to me for a moment about that, this dynamic. Sure, sure. Yeah, what a great focus there. So, um, so trust in the deepest sense, for me, trust is in that central channel, is in that uh, alignment with life itself, which is flowing through each of us. That's the deepest level. But, but there's a development to get there. So if we look at the psychological development of the child, you know, we could say, so the soul comes in and the soul is pure awareness. At least that's how I see the soul. And that pure agendaless beingness comes down and gets conditioned into the particular time that it is going to be incarnated into. And those those layers, which start with the genetics of the mother and father, but then it's also the experiences that that awareness has in the womb of the mother, the conditions that the that awareness is going to be born into, which include the socioeconomic conditions of the family, the, um, the love or lack of love between the mother and father, the quality of holding around the family and the child that is coming in, all of that makes an impression and starts to form an identity, an, an identity that will be either relatively free and connected to source or fixated and obscured in, from that connection in some way. So when we talk about trust, if we talk about basic trust, basic trust, you know, there's a, a, something that a, a developmental psychologist said, which is so beautiful to me. A child discovers him or herself in his or her mother's eyes. And if when the mother looks at the child, she's looking from her own center, from that place of love and openness, from a genderless presence that is connected, then the child knows him or herself as that, and then can develop what we call a secure attachment. And, and that secure attachment then gets radiated out throughout that child's history and throughout the the time that awareness spends in time because awareness is is non-linear awareness is timeless but when we awareness that timeless awareness enters time it needs a form it it needs a uh, an ego frankly and that that ego uh, can be like a really beautiful set of clothing that you put on and you feel just totally comfortable in. You just can dance in it and you, and you want to go out and show your friends, you know, that you just, you just love being in that set of clothes. Um, or it could be really tight and uncomfortable and uh, you can't breathe in it and, you know, and just be filled with, all the sequelae of, that's, you know, trauma, really. Uh, so, so when that happens, then it's harder to trust. And then, and, and we all have some of that that's going to happen. 
it's no nobody gets through life without a little bit of trauma i think because just being a human being being educated is difficult so when that happens then then we have to um which is inevitable even in the healthiest of families we have to engage on a healing journey of some sort which is to reboot to reestablish to clear out the noise that has accumulated inside of the energetic and emotional or energetic is emotional and but also the belief systems and the body the body itself of that person and when we engage in that healing journey one of you know we can't do it alone we can't um just go into a cave and meditate and heal the the injuries that have happened in a relational space so if we want to heal those injuries we have to go back into a relational space because that's where the injuries happened and so then the question is how do we reestablish trust and unwind so that that central meridian comes back online all the way through but sometimes it's open you know in one place in the body mind but it's closed in another that's usually how it is it's you know, or, or it's um you know someone might have a lot of flow in their uh, in their mind you know they can think really clearly but you can't feel them you know it's or you know someone might be very sexually charged and you know but but they're not very smart about the partners that they choose and if we're going to really develop as a whole being we have to get that central channel to flow through all of our centers it has to flow you know so in the work that i do we say you know the top of the crown this point we call the bahway point when that's opened like the skylight it opens up into energies that's above our heads and those energies above our heads uh the dao is called the wuji which is means the unconditioned the energy before yin and yang before there was the dynamism of creation so that's the energy of the one when we can connect to that and then gradually bring it down bring the energy of the unconditioned into the conditions of our life so as soon as we start to bring it down into the bahwe into the crown center we we it's like we're going from the timeless and now the timeless is starting to touch time is starting to touch the particular conditions of a particular life and as it comes down if it comes down freely it's going to connect the head the chest the belly the perineum and then go all the way into our root center into the ground uh now there're lots of ways of kind of parsing the energetic flow from the unconditioned down into life you know in yoga you talk about chakras and and so there're lots of different kinds of way of ways of uh parsing that out but um so what i'd like to talk about is kind of to simplify it a little bit which is kind of putting a couple of chakras together which is to say we want to have the head the chest and the heart and the belly center open and then we also want the two gates of the 
crown and the perineum, the root, open to heaven and earth. And if that opens and emptiness is flowing through the central channel all the way, that unconditioned presence, then it's like um, each of those centers is kind of like a window into a whole energetic world of experience. And we want to be able to look into all of those windows or through all of those windows and perceive the world as it hits our energy system at different octaves, let's say. You know, so, so the octave of the head is the octave of the mind. And if, if that window is clear, then the mind is quiet and we think without a lot of noise. We have a kind of purity of thought that is, we have, so the Buddhists would call this discriminating wisdom. We see things objectively as they are without our opinions as to what it should be or could be or would be. Uh, we just kind of perceive the isness of a situation. And then we can respond to it without projecting. And of course, this is a little bit of an ideal state. We all have some yeah. Yeah. filter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we, we respond as much as we can without the filter. And we respond to what is rather than what we wish would be or wish would have been or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it goes down through the oh other centers God. too. Right. Yeah. Let me um, pause just for a moment. There's sure. something happened when you're talking about, especially when you mentioned the words unconditioned presence. Then I started mm. to cry and my whole body became really warm mm. and and then tears coming down. And, and I'm, mm. I'm just wondering, I mean, I don't want to try mm. even to understand that, but because mm. it makes sense, right? And I mean, in that sense. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. isn't it interesting? I don't often cry <laughs> uh, doing podcasts, oh. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I could respond to that for a moment, which is that, if we feel that, and, you know, so hopefully, you know, in our conversation, we're having a conversation in words, but behind the words, we're pointing to something that is an experience. It, and when we really touch that experience, so when we say that empty presence, unconditional, the unconditioned, if we really touch it, we it's like we know we are, that's home. Yes, right. And the image that comes is uh, it's just people around me, my family mm. members, that just being washed by this mm. unconditioned presence. Mm. Well, myself too, of course, but through mm. me, perhaps. Mm. How interesting, like the image of people around me just um, having the glimpse of that, of that space you right. call home, right? You're right. And then it's almost like it's very ecstasy. It's almost like you want to explode into it. <laughs> because right. it's incredibly beautiful right. to right. feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, in a way, that's what we're... So when we do healing work, 
you know, I say to the younger therapists and healers that I train, your primary work to become a better healer is to do your own inner work. Mm, right, you, right. Because you yeah. are the instrument of the healing. Actually, that's not totally true. I misspoke. The You are the instrument through which the healing flows. And if if you've cleaned up your room, your psychic room, and the, the unconditioned is flowing well through your body in the moment of the healing, then what happens is there's a direct transmission of emptiness to emptiness or life to life. And then the, there's an awakening in the other of who they actually are. And then that, that is what does the healing. Because, you know, I don't know what needs to happen with somebody. I have no idea what really life has in store for them. But I know that if I can help them hook up to life itself by as much as possible being in my own unconditioned presence, then we, then everyone is bathed in that. Your family is bathed in that. Your relations are bathed in that. And heal, and life then, it's kind of like opening up the window to the sunlight. And then when we sit in the sunlight, Everybody feels happy. Right. True. Oh, my God. And you just did that now. I guess a question that came earlier was about freedom, not being free in this sense, Mm -hmm. right, that we have to practice in a way to be free. So in in Judaism, so I I was born in the Jewish tradition, although I I don't really practice Judaism, but there's a beautiful myth from the Kabbalah. It's called Tikkun, which is the reparation. And the... um, the myth is that humanity was a beautiful, luminous vessel, a beautiful, luminous vase that was shattered. And when it shattered, the shards of light went out to the four directions. They went out all over the universe. And the work of tikkun is the work of repair so that we gather the light back into the original vessel. And as that healing work happens, which is world healing and personal healing, there is the reestablishment of that wholeness, that meridian that then works down through all the centers, through not just the head, but also the heart and the belly and all of that. Yeah. In a way, so many of the spiritual teachings and wisdom they touch on the same idea and concepts, isn't it? I have found that to be true in a way. Right. Yes, me too. Yeah. You know, that that's why I'm, you know, even though I've, I teach Taoist practice, I don't call myself a, a Taoist. I don't call myself a, you know, I studied with a Sufi teacher for a long time. I, I don't call myself a Sufi um, because any particular label for me, anyway, what I've been interested in is how all the traditions talk about the same thing from a little bit of a different perspective. And then, you know, my own practice is more Taoist practice because that's what I've found to speak to my my soul the most. But it's if the practice is a real practice, it shouldn't be limited to any particular dogma it's not it's not a dogma it's an experience it's not a theology per se 
It's a, a transmission of life. How did you become interested in this, like at first, mm. Michael? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gosh, it gets to go all the way back. So I grew up in the... I grew up in the 60s, you know, and uh, you know, so I'm in, you know, I'm 63 now. So, so the first kind of awakening for me was when I was 12 and I was in, I went to this kind of liberal hippie camp, hippie dippy camp. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, uh, um, and my bunk counselor read Siddhartha to the group, to the bunk. And, and so, so I, heard this story of the Buddha and something woke up inside me and I said, wow, that's, that's, there's truth there. And, and so then from there, I mean, there were other things where I wrote certain, you know, I started, I like wrote some poems that were really um, wiser than my years. <laughs> and then, then there were two kinds of real kind of major openings, I would say, that happened when I was um, 17. So one was kind of like a pre-opening, I would say, where I was at a party and um, probably a little bit altered state of consciousness. I was probably a little bit altered at that time. Uh, and I saw someone in the room doing the Tai Chi form and my jaw dropped. I just looked at him and what I saw was um, I, I saw like a light body, like he was like fluid moving light and he wasn't, he wasn't physical to me. He was, he was moving, but his limbs were just filled with light. And, and I looked at him and I said, Oh my God, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I have some of that. You uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> like when yeah. Harry met Sally, I'll uh, have what she's uh, having. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, and he said, "Oh, this is Tai Chi. I've been studying with." Um, he was a student of Cheng Men Cheng's, who was a so Cheng Men Cheng was one of the first uh, really authentic uh, Tai Chi masters to come over from Taiwan, and he was teaching in New York at that time. And um, so I went and I studied not directly with Cheng Men Cheng, but with uh, one of his students. And then around that time, there was a lot of kind of emotional upheaval, you know, as a lot of 17-year-olds were going through, do go through. And, um, and I had a, a teacher, an art teacher, who uh, was connected with the Fourth Way uh, work. He was a friend of Uspensky's, actually, P.D. Uspensky, who's in the Gurdjieff movement. Um, and he was from Bulgaria. And um, and I was in the middle of this growth process, let's just say. And at one point, I started to get scared. I just, you know, it's like, what's happening to me? Because <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like when things start to shift mm. and all of our assumptions get challenged, we could feel ungrounded. So I started to get scared, and, and I somehow had a sense this that this person could help me. This was a, his name was Mr. Abrashov. And um, so I called him up and I said, Mr. I used to call him Mr. A. And we, he was like a grandfather to me. And, um, and I said, Mr. A, I, I, I'm, I need to see you. And he, he was very European. And he said, 
uh, so let's make an appointment. And I said, no, I need to see you now. Okay. <laughs> and he said, what's happening? You sound pretty, uh, pretty emphatic about that. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm having strange, strange things happening. Right. So, so I, I went to see him, and the same thing. I opened the door, to, and he was old then, but he was standing up straight, and I, what I saw was he was filled with light. He was, you know, like the guy who was doing Tai Chi. He was, it wasn't just his physical body, it was a light body. And I said, Mr. A, I see you. And, and he looked at me and he knew exactly what I meant. And he said, yes, I, I see you. See me. Come in, we have a lot to talk about. And he sat me down and then he, we, we talked till 2 a.m. And, and he, he kind of gave me some teachings that were, you know, somewhat about helping me to ground. Well, they were probably all about helping me to ground the energies that were opening. I said, you know, this is, is, these aren't his exact words, but basically this is wonderful. And it's also a little bit, uh, you have to actually, it's like if you don't build the house, hold the, spirit that's coming to live in the house the spirit will have nowhere to land so you have to the house and um that's that was the beginning of more serious practice because really practice you know whether we call it Taoist practice or sufi practice or whatever is building a container where a container in the conditioned world, it's our actual bodies, our nervous systems, that the unconditioned can live in. If that doesn't, if we have no house for that, the unconditioned has no home. And it just is, um, it has no root. It doesn't land. And and that's, that's why it's not, I mean, we can have an awakening, but unless we, uh, have practice. It, it's kind of like putting the water out onto the sand, but there's no riverbed. It does nothing contains the water. But then there's a long, you know, and still I'm on that journey. So still happening of, um, you know, really doing the practice because I can't, con the water itself is, is I have no control over the water. The water is the Tao, you know, that is life itself. What I can do is I can create an inviting home for it. I can create a, a nervous system, a body, mind that is relatively free from blockages and armoring and inside of which that presence can begin to abide. And, then when, that, and when that happens... You know, then, uh, well, and it doesn't just happen. It's not like you'd ever get there. Right. Yeah, destination, right? Yeah, no destination. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is um, more like then you're in that evolutionary flow and life will just continue to solve its problems through you. Like all the collective trauma we have now, all the wars we have now, the the horrible things we are doing to each other. If we as healers are really centered there, we can do what we can from our seat. 
Oh, none, none of us can. I mean, there are people who are sitting like I'm not Joe Biden, so I, I can't I don't have that reach, but I have the reach I can have from inside of the unique conditioned life that I have. And then reach influences people and the ripples go out. And each person, you know, each person who is is a, in that process of awakening is continuing to open the gates for life to heal life or for life to live. Mm. Mm. For life to be, yeah. yeah. Wow, it's um, incredibly illuminating to mm. listen to you. It just speaks to... To who I don't know, because there's no <laughs> hole here, but speaks to it, yeah, the conditioned mind, body. And, and I love the way you talk about building the house to hold this conditioned presence. That is so true. That's where practice comes in. And with that in mind, talk to me for a moment, because you it kind of brought to me something that I never thought about, mm. Qigong, and yeah. for some reason I became interested in. Uh-huh. So talk to me for a moment about yeah. Qigong, right, the okay. practice of it. Yeah, so, so Qigong, we say, is the art of energy cultivation from inside of the Taoist tradition. And there's Qigong, there's, the, you'll, if you go into that world, you'll see Qigong practices, you also see something called Neigong practices, which are a little bit more um, moving towards what they call Taoist alchemy. And so Qigong, we could say, is like, Taoist energy yoga. And if so, the Qigong practices, uh, and there are many, it's like an, you know, the, the Chinese are prolific in terms of creating different practices, really are the, they're like the, um, the chisel or the, the carving tool with which we, we dig out or dissolve. There's a lot of dig out sounds too willful. It's really more dissolve and melt the places in our body mind that are numb, are tense, are activated in some way that the the chi is not flowing in a coherent, relaxed way all the way through. And so we really, you know, so this word coherence also is important to me because it's um, if we are truly coherent, which also means integrated, then all the layers, so um, the layers of our subtle field are kind of saturated all the way down. And, you know, with really high masters, they go, they would say all the way into the bone marrow. And, you know, so as you practice, you kind of, you know, one teacher says it's kind of like pouring consciousness or soaking a sponge. If your body is like a sponge and consciousness is the water, when you do the Qigong practice or the Neigong practice, you soak the body-mind in consciousness. And as the body-mind soaks up that consciousness, it opens, the channels open, the meridians open, the internal organs open, and the and the um, and each and then there's a very kind of elaborate and well worked out landscape map 
that the Chinese have, you know, it's the foundation of Chinese medicine, really, for how to develop this flow of qi through the body-mind in a way that is harmonious, coherent, integrated, and free. You know, so then you have these, this tradition of practices, this lineage of practices, like like any yoga practice, and um, you know, so I studied with different. You know, I've searched out different teachers who uh, had authentic lineages, and when they so when they pass on some of their practices, it's like they're passing on the tools of their masters and their masters' masters and their masters. masters. You know, it goes all the way back in time, and that. Um, if if we practice well enough, which is, you know, it's like you you can go to a go to a class, and maybe even it's a very high teacher, it's a very uh, developed, uh, masterful teacher, and he gives a practice and he does a, a, a beautiful transmission. That transmission, unless you practice it and really work it through your own body, it could be kind of like water getting poured onto a cup with a top on it. You know, it doesn't really go into the cup. So so you have the, the practice, but then you have to work it. So Qigong is, is the practice of energy cultivation so that you create a balanced energy system that actually can contain the, the consciousness, contain qi. Because, you know, one, one thing that uh, I've seen is that in the spiritual world, you know, we think that spiritual practice is um, benign, that everyone should just do spiritual practice. And on one level, that's true. But on another level, it's not benign. It, we are awakening very deep, powerful energies that if they don't awaken in a balanced way, they can create a lot of symptoms. In other words, they can create insomnia. They can create um, emotional storms. And, and to some extent, you know, we have to go through some of that if we're going to do an authentic process. But we can avoid certain kinds of, you say, like, we, we, we don't want to fry our nervous system. And, you know, like I see people doing like strong kundalini practice, you know, because they really are very spiritually ambitious. And their chi system, their body system can become, can start to dry out because they're putting a lot of fire energy in. And if that fire energy is not balanced by water energy, by, you know, other practices, then it, it can create an imbalance in the energy system. So, you know, it's, it's important to have like really like teachers that are doing their own work who are not, who don't like, um, who have a lineage transmission that they have, which so that they have their own balanced development, but also who are humble, who are humble and who, you know, remember that they're not the teacher. Life is the teacher. Always, life is the teacher, not the, the guru or the, the master is not the teacher. The master is just the home that the teaching lives in. 
And the master is just as neurotic as the rest of us often. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so much true in, um, to this. Um, I love the way you say that, Tim. The life is doing the work. Life is speaking. Yeah, that's, um, it really resonates. Right. Yeah. Life is speaking and the practice itself is the teacher. So that, because the practice is objective in a way. Either you have it or you don't. And, um, and there are lots of people who are more proficient at some of these practices than I am. And I can see that. And I bow down and say, well, this is, you know, let me learn from you. And then there are people, you know, my students that say, you know, I'm preparing you. You know, I'm doing, I'm giving you what, everything that I know to create a balance development in you. I mean, I love the way you speak about almost the unspeakable. It's amazing how beautiful it becomes when it is uh, transmitted or translated mm. in the way you do. It could be felt today. Thank you so much, Michael, oh, for, for, so being you, for being open to life. And with that in mind, we're almost at the end. Oh, my God. And I had so many other questions. Even everything <laughs> yeah, we just... We do this again sometime. That would be fun. Yes, yes. That would yeah. be wonderful. If someone wants to work with you, how does it work? How do they find you? What's the best way to contact you? The best way is to go to my website, which is michaelrobbinstherapy.com. So www.michaelrobbinstherapy.com. And then on that website, there's a... There are articles that I've written. There's some the artwork that I, some artwork. There's uh, a lot of different resources there, and uh, then there's a contact form. I have to have a little caveat here. Unfortunately, particularly with COVID, my practice has gotten so like I'm like full, <laughs> very full. Uh, but um, but I have, and I only have one at this moment because I went all online. I only have one online class that I'm teaching, but hopefully things are going to open up and I'll start to teach more in person again soon. And, you know, and there'll be different kinds of opportunities and we'll see what happens. Yes. Yeah. I like that. We'll see what happened without any. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Life. Uh, let life be life. Right, Michael. So I'll have your website on your podcast profile as well. Great. Thank you so much again for your presence today. And we'll we'll talk soon. We'll talk again soon. I would love that. Great. Great. It's been a pleasure to be here, Valeria. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Bye for now, Michael. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michael Robbins and his work, please visit michaelrobbinstherapy.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>